The life cycle of a customer is the exact map brands need to create strategic experiences that in turn create lifetime value for customers. Understanding where they've been and where they're likely to go are two critical building blocks for customer experience design, but also vital. Leadership, which spends time in the field to understand the customer's needs, 360 communication across teams, and having buy-in from leadership in charge of the purse string. Coming up, Michael Williams, Senior Vice President of One Vanderbilt, one of the biggest buildings in New York City, both in height and level of customer experience. Michael delivers big thoughts and big value on how getting customer insights from the wrong audience can be valuable, why fan experiences in sport events offer unique challenges, building driveway to driveway experiences, a powerful example of experience done right from Shocker Disney, and why asking a question about your CFO's car can unlock the checkbook. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. Hi, Michael. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, Liliana. It's a pleasure. Glad to uh, glad to spend some time with you. We always start our conversations with one question, which is, is there something that you would be open to sharing with us that we cannot find on Google about you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, there's lots of things I probably could, you could find on me on Google. You know, I've been so fortunate throughout my career. I've, I've been involved with some incredible global brands. I've worked for Disney. I've worked for uh, with, uh, with the NFL. I've worked for the NHL. I've done some global work with Formula One. And now, uh, most recently, I've joined uh, an incredible $3.6 billion project with one Vanderbilt in the summit right here in the in the heart of, of Manhattan in New York City. So, boy, there's lots of pretty interesting things. Probably one of the most interesting is one of my hobbies I enjoy doing is obviously scuba diving, but more specifically, I enjoy going cage diving with great white sharks in different locations around the world. So that's that's a great hobby of mine. Whoa. I, okay, I only have seen something remotely like this in South Africa. So Thank South you. Africa is big. Uh, the Farallon Islands off of San Francisco are big. Uh, Guadalupe Islands off of the coast of Mexico, which is always big. And, uh, and then South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia are all big. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's an incredible and majestic experience for sure. I, I can imagine. So how often yeah. do you do it? How often? Oh, not often. Not often. Yes. It okay. uh, Yeah. You know, work, <laughs> work court sort of. Uh, consumes a good percentage of your time and, and your schedule, if you would. So, uh, and uh, it's just something that you, every great once in a while when you get a chance to do that, that's for sure. But it's something very, very unique and very special. Something else that popped up that now came to mind was that you, you play the drums. I do. Something? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I enjoy, uh, you know, playing music and playing drums and part of a band with uh, with some guys and friends and stuff like that. So even though we have the professional side of all of us being working executives, we do have that outlet and that ability to sort of express ourselves through music and, and enjoy. And uh, yeah, playing drums is fantastic. Definitely a great stress relief and uh, an ability <laughs> to get out there and, 
and 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 bang on the drums and make a bunch of mu- a bunch of noise for sure. I was just gonna say that this sounds like the best instrument for stress. Yeah. Oh, make no mistake about it. It allows you to work out all of your stress and uh, <laughs> and if you had a bad day, all you have to do go home is and uh, and and play play a couple of songs and you feel much better about it for sure. Um, so I I wouldn't it wouldn't be a customer experience show if I don't ask you about an example of a, your worst or best customer experience. Yeah. You know, it's great. I always talk to people about this when I either interview them or I speak on the topic for sure. It's uh, because it is a range, right? I mean, I think you talk about the spectrum from what is good and bad. And within that spectrum, it gives you a better sense of how you can work on your own brand. Uh, and more importantly, how you can help to, to work to deliver better guest experience, no matter what platform or what industry you may work on. So, you know, probably one of the best, uh, I would have to go back to one of my former, uh, one of my former, you know, work lives and working for Disney. You know, and, I, and I'm not going to give you an example of uh, what people may think, which is that of, you know, dealing with the Magic Kingdom or dealing with, you know, the characters or dealing with any of the uh, individual groups themselves. The best customer experience that I can remember actually dealt with parking, if you can believe it or not. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's pretty unique. And it's really nice because it's a mixture of, of guest experience, uh, data, right, which we all know within guest experience is so important. Um, it's working with the aspect of customer service uh, and then really training. And I think all those facets is really something that's important when you talk about customer experience and, and the CX, if you would. So in this instance, we had a uh, we had a guest who had come out of the park after spending a full day. And for anybody who's ever gone to Disney, you know what it's like. You, uh, you know, you're tired. You've spent way too much money and you're really sort of drained and stressed by the end of the day. And you're just ready to get in your car and go home. Well, in this instance, uh, this family came out and uh, and they they couldn't find their car. They had no idea where it was. And and it was incredible the way that the guest experience team really jumped into action. And by asking a series of questions, you know, uh, this was Disneyland in California. But by asking a series of questions, what time did you get to the park? Where did you come off of? Which interstate? When you pulled in, did you park in a parking garage or in, in a sort of a flat, uh, you know, exterior lot? Um, and it, when you pulled through, do you remember if you parked uh, in front or behind someone, all questions that a general person could probably answer. And by doing that, they were able to cross-reference it with the time of year, the amount of people are in the park normally at that time of year, and the way that the parking flow normally takes place. And by answering those questions, they were able to determine where those people's cars were uh, within about 150 to 200 yards, and ultimately then take it and deliver them. And they put them on a golf cart and drove them right to their car. And you know what the amazing thing, uh, Liliana, is was by the time they left, those people, you know, the conversation in the car wasn't about how great Mickey was or what was happening on Main Street. It was, my God, how the hell did they manage to do that, right? How, how did they figure out where our car was by doing that? <laughs> but it speaks to that great customer experience um, where all the different business groups, all the different facets from guest experience to customer service to security to data to marketing to everything across the board, they all are driven and they're aligned in their approach as to how they're going to give a great customer experience. Uh, and then in, in this instance, it ultimately delivered and, and exceeded expectations. So that was great. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's the last impression, if you think about it. One, 100%. You, you, you work so hard to bring someone like that to, uh, to, your, to your brand, right, to your experience, to your business. Uh, and everything could go right all the way up until the very end. But if that last sort of impression, that last experience is on the negative side, that's what they're going to remember. So now you're, you're, you're given an opportunity to not only take that and then ultimately 
um, manifest this incredible feeling and sort of exceed that expectation. And by doing so, you're then able to ultimately deliver a great experience, which by the way, they then will evangelize through everybody else. They will evangelize through their social communities. They'll evangelize through their, their friends, through their family. Uh, we all know like-minded people associate themselves with like-minded individuals. So they in turn are helping you sort of act as an evangelist for that brand because of the experience you just gave them. Yeah. But they, you know, it also is interesting what you mentioned is how many people it takes to yes. pull this off internally. People think it's the interface endpoint that, that makes it happen, but there's so much support in the organization that needs to happen on the back end for these things to become sustainable. 100%. There has to be an understanding that this is what a, uh, this is a, this is an agreed upon alignment. This is our goal as a group. And no matter what group, what department, ultimately what responsibility or job core you may have, um, this is, this is part of the responsibility that you, that you have signed up for by working within this. And I think that then speaks to the difference between a brand and a commodity, right? When you talk about customer experience, where that importance falls, um, there's lots of take hotel, hotel chains, for instance. Um, you're talking about a bed, you're talking about a place to shower, you're talking about a place to sleep and sort of come back. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're basically trying to fight for market share purely on price, then you're a commodity. And if you're a commodity, then somebody can undercut you. But if you're ultimately working to deliver a great experience, a brand experience, if you would, um, guess what? You can charge for that, right? You have the ability to ultimately then uh, create and demand what ultimately that experience calls for. Uh, and I sort of think that you take that, that, that mentality, you take that mindset, it then can give you an unlimited amount of opportunities in which you're ultimately going to expand your brand, grab that share of market, grab that share of wallet, uh, and create opportunities to basically deliver a great experience that you're able to monetize later. Mm-hmm. And even maybe charge a premium. 100%. So let's talk about when one vendor built. What yeah. is it? What are you doing there? Yeah. Let us in on the secret. Yeah. So one Vanderbilt is a brand new $3.6 billion building that uh, is up. Uh, it's uh, in the middle of downtown Manhattan, right in midtown New York. It's connected to Grand Central and it is truly remarkable. You know, for those of us that, that live and, and work in New York, uh, you know, you realize that there's uh, there's only so many things that have never been done before. Well, this is one of those projects. Uh, this, this has never been done before. Uh, the, 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 the technology, the innovation, sort of the creativity that went into the design of the building from the commercial perspective is second to none. Uh, it by far and away is one of the greatest buildings throughout the world. Um, but on top of that, and within my group and my, my business unit, if you would, uh, we've been charged and challenged with this. Uh, this responsibility of opening a, an observation deck called the Summit. Uh, and within there, we have four floors uh, that offer a multitude of different experiences uh, for guests that are able to come through. And we only use the term observation deck only in name because the truth is, is we are so much more than just a tall building with a great view. We have a chance to create a sensory sort of driven experience for our, for our guests as they come through. Some of it is based off... Uh, you know, retrospective, introspective, if you would. Some is based off of thrill, right? Some is based off of unity. Some is based off of this, uh, this ability to connect with yourself and other people. And then let's be honest, on top of all that, we have one of the best views in, in all of New York when you're looking uh, anywhere throughout the entire island itself. So uh, there's lots of great things that we're working on and we're building out that program right now in the journey flow. And uh, I have surrounded myself with a whole bunch of really talented individuals uh, that I'm fortunate to consider uh, can call my team, and uh, and they're just brilliant, right? And and I think that's part of as a leader, that's part of what you do, is you 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 empower those around you, 
you hire really smart people, you charge them with the tasks that you have, you over-communicate, you hold them accountable, and then you support them in any way you can. Um, and that really becomes great. It really does. And then you get out of the way, right? That was one of these quotes I had, hire the smartest people and then let them do their work. Do you have any hospitality embedded in this experience? We do. Beyond yeah. observation. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have, uh, we have food and beverage. We have merchandise. We have all sorts of different uh, photo opportunities and opportunities to create memorable, memorable moments that you're able to take away with you. Um, tours, other aspects of what it is that people are going to be coming through. So it's, uh, it really is. It's, it's, it's not just, yes, it's one of the tallest buildings in all of New York, but it, it's not just a matter of coming and looking out a window. Like I said, there are, there's installations of, um, of art. There's installations of, of food and beverage and, and, and cuisine as far as what you're able to do within there. Um, and the ability to connect with people, you know, uh, not just during the experience while they're walking around, uh, but pre and post as well. Another aspect of training within Disney that was always so important that I've carried everywhere I've gone, which is this, this really this mindset of driveway to driveway. And really what that means is from the moment someone is leaving their driveway to the moment that they come to your property and to the moment that they return to their driveway, you have an unlimited amount of opportunities in which you can create touch points and make an impression, make a positive impression with those individuals from the moment they leave to the moment that they get home. So it's prior to the experience, during the experience, post the experience, and then the ability to continually sort of follow up and work through there. Um, you know, that's one of the great and the exciting things of what you find currently in today's marketing, sales, and, and customer service driven sort of platforms is you have, you have a voice. Uh, and within that voice, you have an opportunity to, to deliver something on an ongoing basis to whoever the guest is. And no matter what they're looking for, you know, I, I think the personalization of the customer experience these days is so critical. Um, and I know one of the things you were talking about, you wanted to ask is what is that one thing? Um, you know, it definitely falls back to, uh, to personalization. It really does. Yeah. And I, the, the more touch points you create, the more touch points you see as an opportunity to interact with your customer, Correct. the deeper the relationship is. And that's yes. kind of where the brand stickiness happens. That's, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, it is. You know, and one of the things that I always enjoy that I, I challenge my teams with, and I challenge myself as well, is I think sometimes, uh, again, I, I think everybody falls victim to, the, victim to this, including myself. I think people get lazy. I think if you work within a certain industry, I think you get to a point where you just, uh, you may want to do the same thing over and over again. You may possibly want to imitate or complement that of something that one of your competitors may do in the same industry. But where I would charge you and where I do charge myself and my team is this idea of um, look outside of the norm, right? Don't just look within your own industry yourself because you should already know that stuff. So how can you how can you really sort of be creative? Can you be innovative to drive things that aren't currently being done in your stuff? So if you're talking about really high-end stuff uh, that may not necessarily be that within the observation or sort of the destination-based business themselves, um, what does that look like? You know, are you doing your hiring clientele? Are you trying to emulate something like uh, like American American Express with their black cards, right? Or if you're doing a loyalty program, are you working within something possibly either the wireless or the airline industry? Or if you're doing something within sort of a technology base, are you doing something like that of a one of the social platforms? Are you working within, um, you know, possibly that of a uh, of an Airbnb, right? Or 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 whatever whatever number of other opportunities or examples you may want to give. Um, you know, what is it that people are doing in other places 
that I can ultimately apply to my business. It may not be exact. It may not be uh, directly in line with, but I can guarantee you there's going to be certain instances where you can create synergies amongst that, things that are successful that ultimately you can put in within your business and your plan that are going to help drive results. If you're interested to continue this conversation, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at our website, thepetrovaexperience.com, or you can reach out directly to me at liliana at thepetrovaexperience.com. Just mention you are a listener of this podcast, and we'll offer you a free customer experience consultation. We'll explore how we can improve your customer experience. If you could advise an executive or, or a board today, of what, are, what, are, what is the... Oh, yes, yes. Now we can go actually to your board position. No, 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 no. I'm saying I do that on on multiple multiple instances. I've done it before, but please continue. What would you advise them? I guess what I'm looking for is the nugget of success in customer experience at the top. What should they be doing in order for customer experience to be focused for for the brand downwards? Yeah. Uh, The one thing I would tell you is realize that you're not building it for yourself. Um, you're building it for the end user. You're, you're building it for the person and the, the, the guest that's going to be going through the space itself. I think there's, a, uh, there's, a, uh, there's an issue in which a lot of times people want to deliver experience through their, li- through their lens and ultimately through their eyes, uh, but they may not actually be that, that, al- that target audience that's coming through the space themselves. Um, you know, I go back to one of my favorite stories back in my earlier part of my career where I used to work for WPP and J. Walter Thompson. Uh, we had a fairly large meeting with a bunch of uh, high-level executives in which we were pitching um, creative for the Ford Mustang. And after I got finished walking everybody through the data and the strategy and sort of the rollout plan of what we were going to be doing with this stuff, I I, uh, ultimately launched and rolled the the creative. And uh, we played all the commercials and all the creative. And at the end of it, uh, crickets, Not, not a single comment in the room. And I started to panic but then it sort of dawned on me um, that every single person in that room were fairly, uh, fairly successful executives. Uh, they were definitely older. Um, all of them were either 55 or plus. Uh, and it dawned on me that they, they were not the audience we were trying to reach for this vehicle, for this brand, for that customer <laughs> experience. And as I went around the room, I had every single executive telling me how they disliked the creative. They told me that it was awful. They told me it was terrible. And, uh, and I basically, I took it all in. And as we were talking, I basically came back to him and I said, good. I said, good. I'm glad that you don't like it uh, because not one of you, not one single person in this room is going to buy this vehicle. So the fact that, that you don't like it actually speaks to, to let me know that we are on part, we're on strategy, and we're basically, we are creating the right thing. Now, if your kids or your grandkids come back and tell me that they don't like it, then I have a problem. But the fact that you don't like the music and you think it's too loud and you think the cuts are too fast tells me we are spot on. We are absolutely spot on. And to go back to that one point, what would I tell executives and boards is please realize that we are that this isn't being created for you, right? This is this is being created for a different audience. So uh, allow the people that you work with and allow the people you're ultimately doing business with, allow them that latitude and the support and, and the trust to ultimately build the things the way it needs to be done. This is great advice. Did they let you do it? Did they you did. proceed with they, that? We absolutely Good. did. And it turned out to be one of the most successful sort of campaigns that we launched at that point. So it was great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. This is a great story. Yeah. 
Speaking in, in this kind of, now that you're in mem on memory lane, what would you share with us as the, the one thing that you did that had the most impact on your customer experience at that time of, of your career, wherever you want to go with this? You, you know what? I think um, I, I, would, I would basically tell you two different things. One is I think that uh, recognizing that all of our customers are different, uh, and I know that sounds pretty simple, but in rewarding them and creating value for them um, and, and creating, you know, ultimately the idea or the plan of how you're going to communicate with them, it really needed to be uh, audience specific, right? Um, and, and, you know, Liliana, what may be important to you may not necessarily be as much value to me. And, you know, one of the things that we did in some of the different sports properties and teams that I've worked with is we went back and recognized that for some of the fans that different things, depending where they are within their life cycle of being a fan, uh, ultimately was more important. And by the way, that changed. It, it altered. It basically evolved as they went through these programs and through these things. So if you were a, uh, if you were a fan or you were a season ticket holder of a specific team when you were young, you may value uh, getting a chance to meet the players or get some autographs or do something else. But once you fast forward a little bit, maybe now you're a family of four with kids. Well, now it's less important for you to get something and it's more important for your kids to get something. So your your value association has changed, right? So recognizing that that and people are, are, with, are involved with your brand and your customer experience at different thresholds, right? Within that brand life cycle, within that sort of that overall timeline, you are reaching these people at different points throughout their experience uh, and, and ultimately throughout that relationship themselves. Uh, and then lastly, get to a point where Maybe it's not about autographs, not, maybe it's more about just creature comforts, or maybe it's about hospitality and recognizing where they are and, and sort of how, what's important to them. Once you do that, that allows you to come back and deliver not only a personalized experience, but a much more specific and strategic experience. And by doing that, you know what happens? Your, your success rate and the value grows exponentially across the board because you're ultimately giving them what they want, right? You're not trying to force them to accept something that wasn't really important to them. You're not trying to tell everybody that this is a one a one fix answer uh, that's going to be the same no matter who you're speaking to across the board. And, and lastly, um, it's about listening, right? I would tell you by me listening to you and by me giving you, you know, what you find value in, um, I've done now a couple of things. I've, I've accomplished by giving you what you're asking for. And so that inherently sort of brings more value. But more importantly, you know, know that you have a, you have a voice. You have a voice. You have an ability to sort of voice your concern, disdain, and or, and or pleasure uh, with what we are doing across the board. So it's, uh, it's great. There are 7.8 billion people on this planet. Over 50% are under the age of 30. Under the age of 30. The way that they consume content, the way that they share content, and the way that they create content is vastly different than the entire audience and the entire segment before. So they have a voice, and they're going to make their voice be heard. Yeah. I like I like your concept of strategic experience. I've never heard that before, and I think it is so smart to get more ROI from what you're doing. That takes intentional design, but also connecting with the strategy, and that I think is is a connection that, at the executive level, again, unfortunately, doesn't happen often. So um, that I think that's a good insight. I think it's a great insight. And, and I, I appreciate that. And it doesn't happen that often. But one of the things I would encourage your listeners and other people to do is to create opportunities to, to 
basically allow for those executives or people to, to invest themselves in, in the dialogue, right? Invest themselves in the process. Because just like anything, if I'm vested, if I'm involved and I care, um, not only are you going to get my attention that I'm, I'm going to be much more uh, sort of currently engaged in the discussion themselves, but I'm going to understand why it's happening. I'm going to understand why the decisions were made. I'm going to understand why, why it is you're doing what you're doing. So it's no longer just a matter of questioning. It's a matter of trying to recognize were the right decisions made, was it executed correctly, and what is the outcome from there? It's, it's really insightful what you just said. We, in our process, what we do when we build cultures, we involve the front line because we're saying the front line needs to be co-creating their own experiences. But then if you think about it, once we launch the culture, a lot of the culture rituals are about involving the executives in the front. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So it's this kind of connections between the two and what's the timing of when each one of them is not currently engaged in it, they should be, in order to have this fluidity that you saw in Disney and, and this even funding, if you think, being approved faster because everything costs money. And every time we had a CFO that spent some time in the operation in JetBlue, they would approve so much faster yes, our of funding requests. 100%. 100%. Than the ones that didn't. I always enjoy my conversations with CFOs because I, uh, I love to drill down to what the experience is like. So a lot of times, and I have many friends that are CFOs and, and I care for them deeply, but a lot of times they don't understand or value customer experience and or branding or marketing and sort of how they're sort of tied back. And one of the things I always enjoy doing in pointing out a conversation to them is I ask them simply, what kind of car do you drive? To which point they normally say, what? I say, what type of car do you drive? I would imagine being that you're fiscally responsible, being that you are pragmatic, being that you're black and right, I would imagine you probably drive a Corolla because it's safe, it's dependable, it's fairly inexpensive. You put gas in it and you go, right? So I'm guessing you drive a Corolla. And the answer is always, no, I don't drive a Corolla. Uh, I drive a Mercedes, or I drive a Lexus, or I drive a BMW. And my ask is, why? Why? And and they don't ever want to admit it, but the reason why is because it speaks to them as a brand. They want to make sure that people understand that they're successful in life. They enjoy the finer things. They enjoy the customer service that's associated with those sort of brands. So while they may not want to admit it, uh, they, they are absolutely in it 100% all the time. So it's a great conversation yes. to have and because you, you, should, you sort of walk them right back into where you want them to go. You know, maybe I'll steal this one. You're welcome to. I've only trademarked it, but Thank I'll give you. it to you, Liliana. You could use it one time. <laughs> I will definitely. I, I had other, other ways of, of persuading my CFOs back in the day. But now as a consultant, maybe, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll report back my results, yeah. how effective it is. It's a simple thing. <laughs> Ask them what type of car they drive and see where the conversation takes you. <laughs> so tell me, wh what drove you to, to sports? I feel like there's a sports team in your life. Uh, there's with, been several sports you know, teams. NFL. Yeah. With, yeah. Why yeah. sports? Uh, you know what? Why Be fan experience in general? Yeah, because... Um, because of the challenge, right? So almost any sort of other brand you can associate yourself with, you can manage and oversee the brand experience all the way through customer experience from start to finish, right? So if it's a, if it's an automotive brand, um, I can basically make sure that my brand promise that I'm speaking to in the front is delivered through all the different sort of touch points and the triggers along the way to the point where when you go into a showroom and you test drive a car and the training that goes into those individual salespeople, 
I can make sure that all of that is aligned with it is what you're trying to do themselves. I, I can make sure the brand promise is delivered at the end of the day, right? That and, and all the everything that sort of works with that from marketing to sales to CX and everything else across the board, they are all within a singular direction. They all line up along those lines. But within sports, you don't have that luxury. And, and, and I say that in the following manner. You could be a fan of a sports team. You could own merchandise. You know, you can watch the games on television, but it doesn't always necessitate or doesn't always equal the fact of getting them to actually monetize that relationship, right? It doesn't guarantee that they're going to buy tickets and go to the stadium. It doesn't mean that they're going to leave the comforts of their home uh, where they don't have to worry about standing in lines or sitting and parking for a long time um, or ultimately pay for overpriced beverages or, or whatever the case may be. Um, they can do it from their house. But as a as a you know a former chief marketing officer and someone who's in charge of driving the CX experience and sales and marketing and all those other sort of touch points, it's my responsibility to drive them to that arena, drive them to that stadium, drive them to that park, uh, and try to get them to come and and, and sort of you know in, engage us, sort of sort of take it across the board where it becomes very personal. But here's the biggest flaw, right? You don't control the final outcome. You could do all those things really exceptionally well. But the team, in some cases, and practically more often than not, they lose. The team loses. You don't you don't have a say on the business side as to what that final product is. So sports is by far and away the uh, the most challenging uh, landscape. It's by far and away the most challenging uh, industry. By far and away, it's the most challenging um, sort of task to, to do that with individuals because people are emotionally involved, emotionally charged with their teams. Um, and for me to get you to 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 keep wanting to come back over and over and over again, it can't just be about wins and losses. It has to be about something more. I never thought of it that way. I am an Eastern European by birth and Bulgarian, so soccer is in my veins. Sure. I went to the uh, World Cup in Brazil. I went to the local Argentinian game yep. when I was in Argentina, and I can... I can tell from experience that for some people, their whole identity is that team. Yes. It can get really unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. Uh, at some point. So. Yeah, back when uh, I was with the, with the NFL, with the 49ers, we, we built our experience off of a three-tiered three sort of uh, brand essence, if you would. It was epic personal experience. And everything we did was really sort of built, drilled down and boiled down to those three words. Epic because there is nothing bigger than game day, right? You have, uh, to a certain extent, these gladiators out on the field battling it out. You have a coliseum or a stadium with 80,000 people, and people are yelling and screaming and, and, and just, you know, uh, and just having this incredible amount of energy, and it's epic in scale. Yet, just as you mentioned a moment ago, when you talk to these fans, whether their team wins or loses, it's extremely personal, right? You go from this large-scale sense of community down to a very sense, uh, personal and, and singular sense of, of, of their relationship across the board. Um, and then lastly, as far as responsibility, it falls to experience. You know, epic in scope, personal in nature, but it's all driven by the experience. Because guess what? Only 68,000 people are allowed to actually get into the stadium because you don't actually have more seats than that. So how do you deliver experience across the board? Well, guess what? It may be through social media. It may be through some of your community outreach. It may be because of some of the different, you know, initiatives or ultimately causes that you benefit and you support. Um, you know, I, I know people who supported teams, not because they were fans of the team per se, but but in turn, they were fans because of what that team did in the local community. You know, so supporting literacy, you know, supporting a battered women's shelter, supporting 
uh, homelessness, you know, as far as what you're trying to do to help address some of these these social problems. Um, and there's people that support that because of that experience, right? Doesn't have anything to do with the with the players. Doesn't have anything to do with the wins and losses. But because of the experience they have through any number of other ways, that is what drives the experience, and that in turn what drives the the, the brand growth. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It made me think of a book I read, "How Soccer Explains the World." Yeah, because in Eastern Europe, it also is very intertwined with politics. Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, what's uh, what was <laughs> the one the one one of the most famous <laughs> pictures of all was during the World War on the Christmas Day truce, right, where the German and the English soldiers uh, agreed to a truce so they could play soccer on Christmas Day. So they were fighting the day before and they were fighting the day after. But for that day, it was sports. It was soccer specifically that brought them together and allowed them to really sort of enjoy just just being being human, right, and sort of just enjoy that aspect of that. The experience of the stadium experience hasn't necessarily evolved much. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were putting a pitch for Barclays Center in New York, mm -hmm. and we just thought about what could be, yep. you know, with the technology that's available. I actually think I reached out to you at that time. And I just realized there's so much you can yeah. do. Um, but it's not really happening. Yep. Even Madison Square Garden, I mean, the staircase experience is still awful. Like there's some basic stuff that's just not really moving over the years. Why, why do you think is that? You know, I, I think it falls back to, um, well, it does like any company, right? It falls back to leadership, right? I, I think there's probably young and there's probably innovative and creative younger executives that are, that are trying to push their initiatives and their projects and sort of things that are important to them from a cultural perspective. But uh, if you don't have that buy-in from the leadership perspective, then you're never going to, to you know, it's not that you're not going to be successful, but you're not going to ultimately execute some of those things that you know make just a, a whole hell of a lot of sense. What keeps you grounded to be that trailblazer visionary leader? Gosh, you know what? I would say that I've been very fortunate throughout my career to be associated with incredible brands, but also have some some people that I consider to be pretty special to me, mentors and, and other individuals. Um, and, you know, one of the things that keeps me grounded is this idea that uh, there's always going, if you know the answer, if you know where you want to go, there's always multiple ways to get there. And I think to be humble and to be grounded in the sense of recognizing that it doesn't always have to be the same way is incredibly important, right? It, it's, it's incredibly valuable to have that insight. One of the uh, one of the stories that I was I was told by a mentor of mine a long time ago, and I and this is another one uh, that you can you can use if you want, or your listeners can use as well. But I was I was struggling. I, I was having this this one particular problem that I was really struggling with, and I just I was I was just really having a difficult time. And finally, this one mentor of mine, he asked me. He said uh, to snap me out of it. He he said, Michael, what's five plus four? I said, what? He said, what's five plus four? And I said, nine, why? He says, what's eight plus one? I said, nine. He goes, what's six plus three? What's seven plus two? But ultimately what he was getting at is if you know that nine is the answer, if you know that's where you want to go, and even though you've always for your entire career have always gotten a nine by, by adding five plus four, guess what? That may not be the way that you get to nine this time. So if you're okay and you're confident and you're secure with who you are and, how, and where you want to be and recognizing that you need to trust your team, you need to trust the folks that you work with and the people that you've brought on to tell you ultimately what is that 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 right path this time. It may be five plus four, but actually probably more than likely than not, it's one of the ones you haven't used before. 
and you as a, as a leader and you as somebody who ultimately need, needs to come in and manage groups of individuals who are, who are charged with delivering great CX experience, um, you know, that's where you have to come in. You have to realize that it, it's going to, in, in a lot of instances, be different than what it is that you maybe normally have done uh, in the past to sort of get to that answer. So that's what keeps me grounded, keeps me grounded every single day. This is such a good answer. Thank you. If I am honest, probably my biggest challenge is this. Yeah. <laughs> it is, I think it's maybe that type of persona that we have that's just being a leader. You're like, I have my vision and that's how I want it to go. Yeah. Letting go, yeah. <laughs> essentially, and seeing that it may not be exactly your way, yeah. but it, if, if it gets the job done, yeah. you still did it. It's it's a tough one. Have you been able to do this? I have. I I've, I've really tried to discipline myself uh, on this exactly. Where I um I my job as a leader is to is to help establish and create culture, manage that culture. It's to create and 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 ultimately direct community you know communication. Um, it's ultimately to hold people accountable for that. Um, and and then lastly, it's ultimately then to help support along the way. Um, so with my staff, I, I take great pride in hiring really talented, really smart people. In a lot of instances, they're people for their topic that are smarter than I am. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm confident in, in who I am and I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not insecure and, and I'm not bothered by having people that are smarter than me with certain job roles or responsibilities themselves. Um, that's what I want to do. I want to surround myself with, with really, really smart, talented, driven individuals. I want to ultimately set the path in motion. And then I want to support them in any way I can, um, because there's never going to be an instance where I can do it all myself. Um, I, and I don't want to try to do it all myself, but I think it falls back to this is uh, this is going to be a good opportunity for us to let people grow, to let them champion ideas. Um, and then more importantly, sort of help drive things um, from their perspective, because if you don't ultimately help support your team, um, you know, then you're you're ultimately doomed for failure. Yeah. What was that saying? If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in you're, the wrong yeah, room. Yeah. If you're always the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? The other saying, <laughs> the other saying I enjoy is, um, if you if you never listen to anything that your team has to say, you'll eventually be surrounded by a team who has nothing to say, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I like yeah. this. So you mentioned culture that caught my attention. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, obsessed with culture. I, I'm not going to say ask how you build it because I, I think you, most people are able to get there with help or without. But how do you sustain it? Do you have some advice on that? Uh, yeah, it's, in, it's, it's involvement, quite frankly. Uh, and I think that it, it's, it's cross-communication. So, you know, I obviously have, just like everybody else, I have, um, you know, I have dashboards and I have, I have weekly reports and I have different things that sort of because of the scope and sort of the reach of my team and the responsibility that I oversee, um, you know, it's just, it would be impossible for me to be up on top of everything all the time. So I do need that snapshot, that summary to allow me to understand what it is that's happening um, and where we are and ultimately then measure success or failure against some of those things. But, but more importantly, one of the things I do all the time is within some of these weekly updates and when, when some of the things that we do is I make sure everyone, every department, at least within the department heads that are sort of doing this, that they are given an opportunity to read the whole thing because that way give, they, that gives them a chance to understand, you know, um, security has an understanding of what sales is doing. 
you know, sales has an understanding of what PR is doing. PR has an understanding of what marketing is doing. Marketing has an understanding of what guest experience is doing and so on and so on and so on. So there is this idea of we are all one team. Uh, and even though it's not what I currently am, am 100% or solely responsible for, but by doing so, this gives you a chance to really um, create this environment of team, right? Even though I may not be doing this on a daily basis, I know what I do is important. And I know what you do is important. And if we do that together and we both are aligned in what it is we want to accomplish, then we're going to ultimately move that, you know, we're going to move that charge ahead. Um, and that's something I try to do with, with my steam and my staff all the time, daily. If you think about it, I know you're in, you're passionate about, you know, emotional intelligence yep. and emotionally intelligent leadership and all that uh, good stuff. And I think, again, caring, right, is, is just foundational. Yep. If, if if you create this cross-communication communication, you're, you're creating empathy for each other among yep. the team. Agreed, 100%. Thank you for um, your time today. I wanted to ask if there is any way people can reach you to to connect with you and to learn more about you or one of Vanderbilt. Yeah, sure. You know, obviously LinkedIn is always uh, is always a, a, a positive choice where people can connect with me that way. Uh, I am on Twitter. I know that you mentioned that on uh, on when we first started about me being a drummer, but uh, I'm on Twitter at, at MP Williams. So M-P-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. At One Vanderbilt, we have a whole bunch of different social media platforms and websites and such like that that, that speak to the project and what we're doing. Uh, and summitova.com is also something that's uh, that's really we're proud of and we're building it out. Uh, and while the building itself is is open, uh, the summit and the observation deck won't be open until later this year. Uh, but trust me, this this will be a uh, it's a game changer. It's something that everyone is going to want to see uh, and experience. You know, no matter, no matter where you are, whether it's New York or or, or Miami or Los Angeles, uh, Melbourne, you know, Singapore or Dubai, uh, every single person is ultimately going to recognize and see what One Vanderbilt really offers, and they're going to want to experience it for themselves. Well, I know I'm definitely. Yep, you definitely are, for sure. Thank you, Mike. The One Thing is produced by the Petrova Experience in partnership with Mount Media Network. Copyright 2021. Visit thepetrovaexperience.com and find The Petrova Experience and me, Liliana Petrova on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter at Liliana Petrova. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.